Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello everyone and welcome to our, uh, this is our sixth episode of season two of Pebble in the Pond Uh, and thanks everyone for the feedback we've been getting, some great speaker recommendations coming through, so thanks very much for that and we do encourage you to keep uh, sending any recommendations you have for this year's episodes through to us and we'll do our best to get those out to you. On to today's episode uh, and today's episode is with a gentleman by the name of Martin Fisk. For nearly 20 years, MensLink has supported young men in Canberra affected by family violence. However, the issue is getting worse. Patterns of violent behaviour are being entrenched without early intervention. In fact, research and data show there are many root causes for violence and not one operates in isolation. Martin Fisk has led MensLink's efforts to support young men through difficult times like violence and mental health issues for nearly 10 years. He is a strong advocate of strength-based approaches and Martin, he in fact designed the award-winning Silence is Deadly campaign in 2012, which now reaches over 10,000 male students each year. And this encourages them to seek help rather than to self-harm or harm against others. So without uh, further ado, I would like to introduce Martin Fisk. All right, welcome to another episode of Pebble in the Pond. With me today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Martin Fisk. Martin, welcome. G'day, Sam. How are you doing? Really well. Thanks very much for coming along uh, and having a chat with me on the show. Really looking forward to getting in and understanding more about your background and also what, you do, what you're doing now with the Men's Link stuff. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners a bit of a, a, bit of a history, uh, a bit of a runway into yeah, how you got to where you are today. Sure. Firstly, I'll just describe a little bit about Men's Link so that will give some context. Okay. Um, we're a nearly 20-year-old charity based in Canberra. And we support thousands of young guys who might be adrift in their life from as young as 10 all the way through to 25. And we do that through free counselling, volunteer mentoring services and education programs. And I've been with Men's Link for nine years now and um, I was really attracted to the organisation because I was one of those adrift teenagers um i uh i kind of lost my way at around about 15 and back in the 1980s very little support for young people of any description Mm. and um not only was it difficult to get services available but more importantly struggling was not something you talked about yeah. particularly as a guy, you know, like you you would go to school and, and the word counselling was not used 
at all. Mental health wasn't a word commonly used. And so for a young guy at that age, being adrift, you know, I, I, I then self-medicated with drugs, I, I did all sorts of things and, and really ended up in, uh, in not a good place. And back uh, nine years ago, I decided that um, I really wanted to join the community sector because I wanted to give back to society. I, I didn't want, you know, all, all my ideas and, and, and my work just continuing to sort of um, go nowhere apart from, you know, making, making uh, wealthy people wealthier. Um, and I sort of put my... Uh, I put the word out to my network saying I wanted to join the community sector, but I wasn't quite sure what. And somebody said, check these men's link people out. And I met my predecessor... And he talked to me about this model of uh, role modelling for young guys, being able to support them through tough times and setting them on their way for a really productive, healthy adulthood. And I thought, that's the organisation for me. I applied for the job and the rest is history. Wow. That's amazing. And so, so you had a, a, a personal experience um, with the lack of uh, the inability to seek services out for, to, for your benefit as well and then that... Yeah, and, and also the stigma of, of having mental health issues. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, like so many kids, when, when you self-medicate with drugs, that just amplifies the problems. Um, but not really being in a position to be able to share that with the community or have a community get around you and go, you'll be okay, Marty. And I think for me, that's what Men's Link delivers, that combination of lived experience and professional expertise, and I think that's critical. Mm. A- and you mentioned, obviously, there was in, in the eighties there was no, well, there was very minimal help uh, around. Would you also say it was true for females as well? I mean, uh, but I mean, I, I think the statistics show that females are a bit more likely to seek out help than males. But it, I mean, it, obviously, it's Men's Link is pr- is really pr- uh, focusing on the the male gender but do you feel like it's also a problem or it's just the stigma still there for the female side of it as well i think there's i think the stigma is still there across the board Mm. um and uh certainly you know i mean back in the 80s there was no headspace um you know i i managed to get into a psychiatrist um but again a, a lot of that response was you know um big on the medication low on the, you know, let's try and find you some direction in your life. Um, And I think that's where um, a whole range of youth services today really make a difference because they can provide, um, you know, the clinical expertise and things like that, but also um, whether it's for young men or young women, okay, here's a bit of a direction in life that you might not have considered. Um, You know, I think we have... um, a real issue with with young people today around hope. I think we have uh, a degree of hopelessness that is on the increase, not on the decrease. And um, I think that's one thing that it's incumbent on all of us, whether whether you're in the, the professional mental health space, whether you're in a, a community organisation, whether you're just a mum, dad, uncle or aunt, it's incumbent on us all or a teacher at school to give these young guys, young girls, hope. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's such, a, it's such an important area. And there's some great organizations out there, like you've mentioned, that are doing some really great work. But even you've mentioned uh, about the statistics, and the statistics uh, are actually not trending in the right direction with what we want. But, uh, I mean, over 20 years, almost 20 years of MensLink being around, how have uh, your organization seen the changes progress? And do you feel like, in spite of the statistics going in the opposite way we want them to, do you feel like it's getting better? Um, Sam, I'd have to say no. Mm. Our organisation has been growing, or the demand for our services has been growing by, on average, 30% per year now for eight years. Wow. In a population that's been growing at around 2%. Wow. That tells you that the problem's getting bigger, not smaller. Now, if I look across the last 20 years of MensLink and, and in society more broadly, what's the big change that's happened, particularly for young people? Technology. It's got to be technology. And I think we're in a world now where young people in particular, but us adults as well, are more isolated than ever. We're self-medicating with likes on Instagram, <laughs> but we're not actually making those connections. And I'll give you an example that happened just this year. My daughters took me out to Father's Day lunch. It was fantastic. But sitting next to us was a family with, I think, about a four-year-old kid. That kid spent the entire lunch, Father's Day lunch, so a special lunch, mm spent the entire lunch with noise-cancelling headphones on in front of a tablet. And I'm wondering about that kid's future. Mm. So all of their brain synapses, all of the reward mechanisms in that growing, developing brain are going to be focused around technology rewards, not the rewards of spending time with mum and dad, with mm. listening to adults. And what's going to happen on the first day of school? Yeah, I mean, technology is such a big thing that's that's changed uh, a lot of behavioural uh, th- uh, mechanisms in the way people are, are dealing with things. But if you look at the different ways that technology is being used, gaming, social media, do you feel like one sort of amplifies the problem over another one or do you feel like it's just all distracting them from the real world in some sense? Oh, Sam, I have, I have so many examples of, excuse me, really difficult um, behaviours online. I'll just give you a couple. We've got kids, not just one, but multiple kids who have had Instagram accounts set up by other kids at their school to make them look bad. So... You know, there might be a, there might be an Instagram page called, you know, Marty is dumb. And people will take photos of this kid, mm. create a meme, and post it online. Now, again, if I look back in time, if you were being bullied at school, mm. that bullying stopped when the doors of the bus closed mm. and you walked home and you had a sanctuary. Mm. Our kids are going home and there is no sanctuary. So what does that do for your anxiety levels? What does that do for your level of hope in the world 
when no matter what you do, and it's not just the kid who created the Instagram account, it's all of the active bystanders piling in. And they think, you know, they're just responding to something that's, that's funny. Yeah. They're not actively thinking, wow, what's the impact that I'm having on Marty? If I look at um, uh, pornography, again, if, if you go back in decades, it was a static environment. It was, you know, pages on a magazine Magazines, or whatever. Yeah. Whereas now you've got this highly addictive content that is increasing in violence. And again, that's giving uh, young men and unfortunately young women as well a massively distorted relationship, um, distorted view on relationships. And what do we know about the protective nature of relationships in mental health? Massive. But again, whether it's through pornography, whether it's social media, bullying or whatever, we're losing those relationships. We're losing a lot of the really protective factors that have helped us in mental health over tens of thousands of years and we're replacing it with technology. And yes, there's some good stuff around technology. The fact that we're the recording this podcast and, yeah. and a whole range of people that, that you and I have never met will can listen to it. Mm. But it can be really, really damaging. And I, and I think all of us educators, uh, mental health professionals, parents and people in the community really need to be looking at our own usage of um, technology and how we're role modelling that for young people to minimise the damage that uh, I, I think is occurring right here, right now. So true, because uh, when they learn behaviour from their parents, I mean, it's especially the generations coming through now that are starting to be parents, are, uh, I mean, they have a very high use of social media and, and apps and all that sort of stuff, so uh, it's probably to the detriment of their kids to some point as well. Yeah, and, and Sam, I think I see a lot of really, really poor role modelling on social media. So, um, you know, largely it is a consequence-free zone. People can put out a statement um, and they think they're just um, disagreeing with somebody, but the language they use can be really aggressive. Um, I've seen parents in Canberra talk about the way to resolve um, violent bullying in schools is for parents to go and beat up the kids. I F kid you not. Physically. Physically. Now, those parents, their kids, are going to be looking at what they've posted online. We had one young man, and, and I'll be talking about this in my uh, talk at the Domestic Violence co co Conference today. We had one kid who came up, up to us after one of our school presentations where we were saying, look, you know, don't be violent. And he said, you know what? In my family, if you're not violent, you're actually disrespecting the family. So mm. our family has grown up being violent. And that's very difficult for a kid to unlearn. Mm. So, you know, that role modelling, I think, um, us adults... We need to be respectful adults online before we can ever hope to teach our kids respectful relationships. 
and it is such a complicated world we live in. Uh, and you're right because it follows you everywhere, and there is no downtime until you shut your eyes off and go to sleep at night, to some degree. And but then you wake up and all of a sudden your pocket, you can be back online and back engaged with the world. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, in, in a lot of circumstances, for the wrong reasons, um, you know, people uh, have a, have a really poor experience with this with this stuff. Tell me about how technology with related... What's the link to violence with boys? Tell me how technology's playing a role in helping um, promote violence or, or have these behavioural uh, challenges that, that boys are now experiencing and, and following them into adulthood. So, Sam, I, th- I think uh, two things. Firstly, we know from studies that have been done um, and various media reports... We know that the social media uh, companies promote aggressive and violent content. Why? Because it generates more likes, that generates more traffic, traffic generates revenue, revenue generates an, a higher share price. And we need to remember that, you know, um, you know Instagram, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, you know, Twitter, all of them, they're solely designed to make their shareholders wealthy. Mm. They have no social impact charter at all. And so they will promote aggressive and uh, they'll call it controversial content over and above um, what I would call, say, kind content. So when people are using the social media platforms, they're getting a view that the world is more violent than perhaps might actually be. Now, there was a study in the US done way, way back in the 1970s on television, interestingly enough, and they showed that um, the uh, promotion of violent uh, content in television news made people more afraid. And study after study after study since then has shown that in Western society, we believe that the world is actually more violent, that there are more crimes than are actually occurring. And that's largely due to media, both social media and, and traditional media. Now, psychological studies have also shown that if you believe the world is a more violent place, you won't suddenly become violent, but you will have increased stress and anxiety. Now, when you're confronted with potentially a challenging situation, you will respond more aggressively than you would if you thought the world was a safer place. Now, we combine that with the social media aspect of no consequence. So I can call you anything I like online and realistically there's not a lot of consequence for me compared to if I said that to your face. So we've got a lot of young people, A, believing the world's more violent, but B, believing that there are no consequences. That's not a good recipe. No one's policing it online. No. There is no, there is no policing. Mm. And so as it relates to males, uh, the, violent, the, the patterns in violence you see, uh, technology plays a role in that, but obviously the culture or the environment that they're brought up in as well. How are we seeing... Uh, is 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 the immediate circle the environment that boys are being brought up or, or, or girls for that matter are you, are you finding that it's getting 
better or are you finding that things are actually heading in the opposite direction as far as the intergenerational changes go? Sam, again, I think it's worse. So let's look for a moment at who a role model is going to be for a young man. And let's pick movies and entertainment. Think of any movie that would appeal to a teenage boy or a pre-teenager where violence wasn't used as the way to resolve interpersonal conflict and more importantly, a movie that would appeal to a teenage boy where violence wasn't used by the hero, the good guy, the role model to achieve the outcome of the movie. So not only are they more exposed to violence, but the hero, the role models, are using violence as, as just a perfectly acceptable way of getting what they want. Now, whether that's in online gaming, first-person sh- first shooter games are the go-to game for young men, movies, TV shows, pornography. We know that pornography has close to 100% saturation rate from age 12 and up of teenage boys. Highly addictive. Mm. But we also know that 84% of pornography is violent or aggressive. Who against? Women. Mm. Not a healthy environment that these guys are are growing up in. Mm. Combine that with, um, you know, a fact that all of us parents are leading busier and busier lives... And we have an environment, and and we call it a perfect storm, where kids are more exposed to the online world, where we're seeing very unhealthy influences, particularly for young men, combined with the fact they're more and more isolated. They're spending less time with their parents. I mean, you know, the average family now streams three movies. Mm. Now, that tells me that... There are only two people in a room. So an average family of four people, the NBN has said that they're streaming three movies every night. At once? At once. Oh, wow. So that means the two kids are in their bedrooms streaming separate movies. There's less and less time for kids to be learning from positive role models and they're learning from very unhealthy role models again at that time where there's increasing social isolation and that's why we call it the perfect storm. Mm. And that makes sense when you look back at the generations where they didn't have technology, they had a lot more of that personal interaction and the, the, the actual quality time, face time with each other. And so uh, that would make sense that it's actually getting worse, even despite a number of great organisations out there that are making an effort to try and curb, to try and reduce the impact and, and the exposure to this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Tell me about the, what are some of the solutions that we can see as we move towards trying to reduce the number of uh, violent uh, attacks or violent incidents, I guess, in young men? What are some of the solutions you see uh, that would be the answer to trying to reduce the number of these? So 
We take a um, we take a multifaceted approach, Sam, around reducing violent behaviour, and we need to remember often violent behaviour is a response to a response to fear. Mm. So you know, we often say that anger management is fear management. So so a young man might feel under threat. Now that threat might be um, a physical threat from somebody else. It might be a threat to his status. It, it might be a threat, you know, um, around a, a family member or something like that. And they're responding with an outburst of, of violence. We need to do two things. We need to give the young man back some self-esteem and some hope for the future and at the same time teach him some emotional self-regulation. What are the tools... It's really critical when we work with young men, um, we call it skill power, not willpower. And this is the key difference because I don't think we can go into schools and say, you know what, stop being violent. Mm. Be respectful. Don't do this, do do that. And the kids are going, yeah, that's all very well, but yeah, my environment's not like that. Mm. So... Um, you know, we have we have a thing in our in our counselling practice of a of a four step uh, anger management jumpstart process that that we've uh, we've adapted, and I can't remember the psychologist who invented it. But one of the things I love in this four step um, anger management jumpstart process is where um, we we give the young guys some homework, and it's around skin thickening. So we say. Go to school tomorrow. Wear something daggy or stupid, right? And the kids at school will laugh at you. But they don't know you're doing this deliberately. So you're actually in control. And just allow them to laugh, but remember you're in control. You don't need to react. And so they start to go, wow. I just experienced a day of people laughing at me and it was okay. And all of that skin, um, skin thickening and other ways to get in touch with their emotions, really, really important. And this is for, for boys as young as 10, is that right? Yeah, we have, um, we used to, so Men's Link was established and we, um, we followed the traditional youth path, so 12 years through to 25 and then originally a mum came to me and said, you've been looking after my eldest son, but my young son at age then 11 is in real strife. Can you help him? And we then spoke to schools, police, other community organisations, and we realised that the problems that used to affect teenagers were getting younger and younger and younger. Mm. And in the two or three years since we've been helping 10 to 12-year-olds, they have jumped to 20% of our overall client base and we have seen pretty much um, every behavioural challenge that we used to see in teenagers at that age group. Um, bullying, violence, sexual assault, hard drugs, you know. So how do, how do they get referred to you? Do they, do they put their hand up and say, I, I need some help, I want to come to you? Or does it, is it more their parents that bring them to you? Is it a school referral? 
How do people get in touch? Well, how do they get into the program in the first place? So we operate, uh, our counselling service operates directly in about 15 schools. We do uh, group programs and uh, presentations to pretty much every school in the Canberra region. So referrals might be done in school. They might come from a, a school psychologist or youth worker. They might come from parents. Um, the police uh, will, will probably give us a few referrals each week. Um, other agencies, the government, um, all, all sorts of places. Rarely is it the person themselves, though? Uh, it is when they get older, okay. um, but not so much at, at the very young yeah. ages. So, so they come to you and, and they experience, uh, it might be bullying, they might be subjective to bullying, uh, as well as that could be the bullier... Is yes. that correct? Yeah. Perpetrator. Yeah. Okay. And so at uh, your programs address either, both sides. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and we've very rarely, and again, um, in the, uh, the domestic violence conference today, I'll be talking about the very high percentage of uh, young men who have been victims of family violence in their own home that then go on to be users of family violence in their own home. Um, we don't take a judgment call on the young men. We're just there to help them. Now, as a result of that, their use of bullying or their use of violence will reduce. But our objective is to make them feel wanted, supported and to give them hope, mm. as well as the skills to manage that emotional self-regulation that, that they may not have had. And we'll do that again in whichever way makes sense. It might be counselling or it might be a volunteer mentoring. Mm. So we have around about 100 volunteer mentors who are role models in our community. Our youngest one, I think, is 22. Our oldest one is 76. And they come from all walks of life. You know, business owners, tradies, um, uh, people in defence, public servants, um, politicians, all sorts of people and they just come together to be that guide, to be a, a lighthouse for a young man who's struggling at sea and just needs somebody not to tell him what to do, not to get him in trouble, but to just go, mate, based on my lived experience here might be a different way to think about things. And do those mentors go through a process, uh, a training process, to, or is it like a, a module, or is it a sequence of, a, of events or principles that they guide them through, or is it based purely on their experience? No, absolutely. We, we go through a very intensive uh, residential training program um, together with ongoing training and support right through that two-year matching period um, where they're matched up with a young fella. Oh, good. So, so the, it actually works out that they, the person gets to choose sort of who would be best suited to them. Is that how it works, or you, or you and the team do that? No, the young fella picks his mentor, not the other way round. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Um, so many of our young people, I think, feel disempowered, um, and you know, part of that is a fact of life. Um, but their ability to then go, you know what? This guy I really get along with and then be able to, um, to relate to that person and, and then they feel empowered. They've picked their mentor and, 
and uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a have a successful two year uh, matching process. And, and have you got? Uh, is there some light at the end of the tunnel as to the effectiveness of this? Have you seen remarkable uh, statistics, or has there been some sort of a, a story you could tell us about how effective and successful that's been the mentorship? So. Um, Every six months, we um, we survey all of our parents, all of our schools, um, and young men themselves, where they're over eighteen, and um, ask them, "How do we do?" Three quarters of them uh, come back consistently and say we've had a positive or a very positive impact on relationships, um, feelings of hopelessness, anxiety, depression, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what we've never done is worked out what happens after they finish with Men's Link. So we engaged the University of Canberra um, Centre for Applied Psychology last year to actually look at our former clients. Mm. And they surveyed a number of uh, clients or, again, parents if the, if the young man was still under 18 or the young man himself over 18. And on average, for two and a half years after they'd left Men's Link Services the young man or their parents reported not just a significant increase in their life satisfaction or relationships while they were using Men's Link services, but that improvement continued after. And I think that's critical because not only did we, or, or this survey um, study showed, not only were we helping while we were there, but we actually taught them some life skills that they continued to improve. And I think that's so important. I talk um, to, to parents or, or young men time and time again who have said, you really changed my life or you changed my son's life. Um, you know, I'm, I've got the privilege of going to a wedding in March for a young man who was one of our mentees um, eight or nine years ago. And he's getting married um, and his mentor's coming along um, and just an amazing situation to be able to uh, turn that young man's life around. What a great community. I mean, it sounds like... Uh, and, and comp- I mean, the idea behind doing that follow-up study as well, just to see what happens after the program, what a great initiative and, and those re- results are really uh, amazing as well. So it obviously follows on with the great work that you guys are up to. Yeah, I, I have a 100-year goal to be able to, um, you know, have places like our, um, uh, you know, our, our mental health crisis services, our rape crisis services, our domestic violence crisis services have their demand reduced significantly. I might be dead when it <laughs> happens, but I think, uh, you know, if, if we can have this ripple effect, you know, if we turn one young man's life around... And he then takes the skills he's learned at Men's Link while a teenager, applies them in his relationships, then applies them perhaps when he has kids or to his nephews or nieces. You're really making this positive ripple effect as opposed to some of the negative ripple effects that we're currently seeing in society. It's really important, Martin, with what you're saying there. And, and I... You know what's what's really interesting as I read more about this and, and understand with what you're talking about, it seems that you take more of a holistic approach, that it's not just 
they're broken and they need fixing, but it's more like more looking at the behaviors and the beliefs behind that and shaping that and trying to adjust that. Is that is that right or trying to guide them? Yeah, I think that's really important. We deal with the young man first and we deal with him as a person, not a problem. Mm. So we do have a lot of well-meaning adults coming in and saying, we need you to fix Sam because he's got this problem. Whereas we go, actually, Sam is Sam. And the behaviours are something different. But actually treating him as a holistic person. And again, as I said, to, to give him hope, to give, you know, to give him a feeling of being valued. One of the things that's really important at Men's Link is we don't use labels. So many of our kids have labels applied to them, sometimes by very well-meaning people. You know, this kid has ADHD, so can never do this. Or this kid has autism, so can never do this. Or this kid is, is from this minority group. Or, you know, we don't use labels. Mm. They're just young guys. And everyone has the ability to feel hope, to feel valued and to learn skills, whatever their stage of life, that they can then apply to make their life better, their family's life better, their school's life better, their workplace and then the community. And how much is it about actually listening to what they have to say? And and because we spoke about the distractions going on and, and a lot of the use of technology and disengagement, uh, lack of social interaction. How much of us is just understanding, sitting and listening and just trying to uh, understand what they're going through and hear them out and what they have to say? I mean, is that is that an important part of the, the structure that you've got in place? Yeah, I think listening, um, you know, particularly in our, in our counselling service, we, we'll provide this year um, close to 2,000 free counselling services to young men and their families right across Canberra. Um, and then even in our mentoring uh, program, just the ability to have an adult person, an adult man, a role model, who's actually in their corner, who's not there to judge, who's not there to tell them what to do, but is actually just going to be in their corner. Mm. Mentoring and counselling are obviously two very important parts of what Men's Link do uh, and sounds like they're very effective and you're having some great success with that. What are you doing with organisations? Because I understand you're doing a little bit with, with you're doing it with corporates and businesses. Is there, is there a way that you're getting out there as well? Um, mostly actually schools. So, okay. so we, we'll do um, education programs for, for organisations around mental health, but it's not really our, our main focus. Our main focus... Okay is in these young people because they are our future. And we provide, in our Silence is Deadly campaign, it's all around when things are getting a pressure cooker for you, put up your hand and ask for help. And importantly, here's some places to go to. Here's how to manage, um, you know, if you're worried about confidentiality, if you're worried about something, here's some ways to go about that giving young guys skills around mental fitness because I think um, it's not enough when people are in crisis to be able to learn these skills. 
Sometimes they need to learn them when they're not in crisis. Again, there's a deputy principal of one of the uh, one of the schools we work with that said to his young lads, um, "Don't wait till things go wrong to have the important conversations." And in our group program, Pride, it's all around that. It's taking small groups of young guys with a powerful role model figure who's not teaching them but actually showing them through storytelling and then getting them to feel comfortable enough to share their own stories and really build... Um, it's, a, it's an eight-week program really built around finding what their own values are and then teaching them how to live by those positive values. Um, and it's interesting, one of the schools came back to us and said, um, out of a group that we held earlier last year, the number of reportable negative incidents involving that cohort of young boys halved in the following terms. Now, that's incredible. Now, that's amazing. Yeah, this program is not about behaviour change. This program is just about understanding yourself respecting yourself and then respecting other people and things like we teach them how to de-escalate a conflict situation so when somebody it might be a bully it might be you know just somebody in the street is in your face here's how to walk away with your pride intact but without escalating into a into a full-on fight or or any of those sort of things it's very effective how much of of that is to do with the beliefs with what they've what they've got is it because they often say beliefs drive behavior so are you addressing the underlying beliefs with that or is it more looking at coping mechanisms from the behavioral standpoint it's both and i think you know if if you look at um uh trauma in in kids um often particularly where it involves uh, violence or abuse kids can go two ways One is, the world is a scary place, so I'm going to retreat into an isolated world of of depression and anxiety. Or, the world is a scary place, therefore I have to come out swinging in order to be on top. Both of which behaviours are really damaging. Mm. And so our, our, um, our approach is to go, you know, it's a bit like, um, uh, you know, our, our, our football team, the Raiders, who are a, a strong partner of men's links, um, you know, they have in their team room, life is 20% what happens to you and 80% of what you do about it. And that's a message I think that all of our young people right across the country, um, you know, need to, need to hear and understand. That's really interesting because it actually places ownership and accountability on yourself uh, to take control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, we take the approach that bad stuff has happened to you. We're there to listen to you and, and, um, you know, how you process that and to help you process that. But what you do next is most important. And the the prevention stuff that you're doing, which going into schools and speaking uh, to groups at a time, Obviously, on the front end, you're trying to capture that so you can educate and create that awareness, which is amazing. Are you finding that that's been super effective at then, even though your statistics are going up, are you feeling like 
getting them at an earlier age and trying to create that education at that point is going to you're going to benefit from down the track or, or they're going to benefit so they won't have to come and have to use your services down the track i i think certainly more and more young people are having those deeper conversations those supportive conversations amongst themselves which is the first tier schools are reporting that more and more young people are having those conversations with adults whether it's teachers school nurses counselors chaplains our counselors mentors coaches whatever um, even parents are commenting uh, young people are now coming back from their school and talking about the men's link presentations and i think that's really important so families are having these conversations and we know that the more you have these conversations in a supportive way, the more likely you are to feel supported in yourself, to feel that, that safety net around you mm. and less isolated. And so there's a big part there you mentioned with the family. How, how much are you doing or is Men's Link doing in trying to give some sort of education to parents to, to be more aware of how they can impact um, Sam, our, our, um, I would love to be able to do so much more mm. with parents, but at the moment it's very ad hoc. Um, and um, like so many charities out there, you know, we, we scramble for funding. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, when, when I look at our, uh, our, our funding envelope, um, you know, we, we never get, more than a year or two tops of guaranteed funding. So, you know, we, we, we live in a, a bit of a hand-to-mouth um, environment, um, but I would love to do more with parents, um, mm. but we just don't have the capacity to, to embark on, you know, what is a, what is a really big exercise with, yeah. you know, would require a lot of staff. Yeah, resources. Are there any plans to expand in other cities? I mean, it sounds like you guys have got a, a, enough of a challenge in Canberra and what you're trying to do there and doing some great stuff. It'd be great to see more of these, or you know, men's link organisations come into other cities. Is there any plan for that or any interest from from uh, other organisations or, or locations? Sam, we um, we would be approached probably every week or two from someone around the country, can, can, you, can you help my son in Brisbane or can you open up in Melbourne or Perth or Darwin or, or, or Wagga Wagga or Shepparton or, or Adelaide or wherever? Um, but uh, the board and I went through an exercise and while we're growing at 30% per year, to try and then increase that by going national um, would be uh, would be very very difficult. Yeah. Um, that said, I keep buying my Powerball tickets to uh, <laughs> to be able to fund that, but uh, no luck yet. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a great model, and and the results that you're getting and the impact it's having on the people that are going through the program speaks for itself. Uh, has there been someone specifically for your career and what you're doing that's driven you? That's driven. Uh, the passion within you to want to make a difference? Is there a couple of people? Has it been a book you read? Is there anything in particular that's, that's a big part of your journey to get to where you are today? I really think it was my own lived experience 
you know, I I had a, um, uh, you know, I I remember um, being completely gripped with anxiety and then overwhelming depression at the same time and just feeling totally and utterly adrift. And that's probably the thing that inspires me. You know, to, to have um, a young man come in and feel that feeling of hopelessness or being adrift and to be able to go, you know what, mate, here's a couple of things you could try. And importantly, to be able to go, from my experience, no matter how hopeless you feel, whatever the situation is, Right now, that will not last forever. And I think that's important. You know, I have been in a world um, myself where I've had three suicide attempts uh, before the age of 22. Mm. And to be able to say I went from that point to having an amazing career, but never more important than what I'm doing now. That's what inspires me. The power of lived experience is, is certainly something that's so strong and well-received. And, and the fact that you, uh, you can talk from a place of truth and, uh, and actually resonate with people as well, having been through uh, such a tough time yourself, is something that I think makes it so special. So, um, Martin, we just want to say congratulations on, on what you're doing and, and Men's Link and everything that's going on down there in Canberra. It certainly sounds like you've got a challenge ahead of you, but at the same time, the effectiveness and the programs that you're rolling out with the counselling and the mentoring and the school programs certainly sounds like you're doing plenty and very active in the community and, uh, and really making a difference for, for younger boys and, and the futures of them and their families. Yeah, I think um, we, we take the approach of whatever it takes, whether it's a, a, a presentation, a group program, one-on-one counselling, mentoring, or all of them, whatever it takes to get a young man back on his feet, that has, again, this, this massive ripple effect, not only on him and his life, but his family, his school, his workplace, his community, his future partners, future kids, um, really, really important. Um, that's what keeps uh, not just me but our whole team of uh, 15 staff and around about 100 volunteers keep going every single day. Martin, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Best place is through our website, which is menslink.org.au. Perfect, Martin. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show. We appreciate the time and sharing your, your story but also the great things that Men's Link is up to. Keep up the good work and, uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing more about it in the future. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Martin. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.